Hello, everyone. This is the third episode of Bible Beyond. It's that time of year again, where families around the world are setting up their Christmas trees and preparing gifts for one another. So I thought it would be fitting to learn about the reason why we celebrate Christmas, Jesus' birth. The passage we'll be looking at today is Luke 2, 8 through 20. It goes, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. The celebration of Christmas is very widespread, with 9 out of 10 Americans celebrating it every year. Yet many of us don't quite grasp the significance of this important holiday. And while there are multiple stories taking place during the time of Jesus' birth, in this specific passage, we get to see how the characters in the story are transformed by his birth. There's this whole process that the shepherds go through between the time that they hear about Jesus and when they leave Bethlehem. All this and more on Bible Beyond. We know that there are some things in the Bible that have a strange significance. The reason I use the word strange is because these are things that are seemingly normal and trivial, but from them comes extraordinary events or actions. I'll give a few examples. The number seven. In seven days, God created the world. The Sabbath is on the seventh day. Joshua and the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho seven times and then the walls crumbled down. Or a dove. There doesn't seem to be anything special about this bird, and yet God uses it. When Noah tries to find land, he sends out a dove. When Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove. Also, shepherds oftentimes take up major roles in the Bible. Moses was a shepherd before God commissioned him to lead his people out of Egypt. David was a shepherd before he was anointed as the future king of Israel. 
and here. One of the first groups of people that hear about Jesus' birth are shepherds. That's the very first thing that the passage tells us, and this little detail gives us a lot of insight into the context of the rest of the story. Shepherding back then was just another form of employment, but it wasn't necessarily an easy one. First of all, the shepherds had the job of protecting the sheep. That's a lot harder than it sounds because sheep are completely useless and helpless without a shepherd. A wild dog or a cat can survive without humans to care for them in the wilderness, but not so with domesticated sheep. And therefore, the job of protection falls to the shepherds. David explains how he had to do this in 1 Samuel 17, 34-35, where he says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. And not only did they have to protect their sheep from danger, but they also had to live with their sheep. This meant eating and sleeping and drinking alongside them. And when we're first introduced to these shepherds, they're not even getting to sleep. It says in verse 8, There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch of their flock by night. So my point is that they don't lead a luxurious life. They don't receive the most honor in their society for what they do. They're not rich or powerful. And yet, the angels could have gone to kings, emperors, maybe the high priests, but the first people that hear about the birth of Jesus are shepherds. Why is that? Why would this be brought to the shepherds first when there are so many more seemingly appropriate options? It's actually because their existence was imperfect. We know that they had difficult jobs, but this also represents their imperfection before God. That's why the angels didn't first meet with royalty, because they symbolize worldly perfection. They represent someone without need of God. And this is a big problem, because we're all in need of God. When Jesus is all grown up and he's active in ministry, he's preaching, and he actually explains this concept beginning in Matthew 19.23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Camels can go through gates or a large doorway, but not through the eye of a needle. And the reason why it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven is because they may not see a need for God. Think about it. If you're rich, you have everything you need. You're never without food or water. You have access to medical care, a nice house. So when someone comes to you and says, you're in need of the life-changing grace of Christ, it's hard to understand. It's hard for a rich person to look around at everything they have and see how poor they are in the eyes of God. That's why God first sends the angels to the shepherds who can look around at their lives and say, you know, you're probably right, I am in need of something. 
And Jesus does the same thing that the angels did. He hangs out with people who are imperfect. So one day, the Pharisees ask him why he hangs out with sinners and not with righteous people. Mark 2.16 and 17 says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's who this good news is intended for. Anyone that's imperfect and is in need of salvation. And although everyone is imperfect and everyone, no matter their wealth, needs God, this is amplified in the fact that they were shepherds. They were both imperfect before God and in the eyes of their society. This kind of fits in with the pattern of humility that we see in the Bible. Jesus is born in a barn, right? Not a palace. He's also born to just the average carpenter, not a king or a queen. And now, the first people who hear about him are shepherds. So that's who we're talking about here. And then the passage starts to explain this process that they go through. There are a few individual steps that happen between the shepherds, the angels, and Jesus. The first one is that they exist, and more importantly, their existence is not perfect. We established that. Then they're met with angels. That's the second step that happens. They're met with angels, and these angels, they have the job of helping to enforce or act out God's will. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. In the last episode, we talked about God's word and the power that it holds. We found that God's word is basically who God is. It's his will, his power, his character, and it's the truth of whom? It's the truth of Jesus. Just like it says in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we have the one who is the word coming down to earth and being introduced by the angels to the shepherds. Now this is great for the shepherds. The shepherds were Jewish, and this gift of the Messiah is what they've been waiting for since the days of Abraham. But what does the Bible say? It says that the angels come, they're surrounded by God's glory, and they're afraid. But they shouldn't be afraid. This is God's glory. They should be thrilled and excited for what's about to come, but they're not. Instead of being filled with hope, they're filled with fear. I think that when most of us read that there were angels there, we think, oh, how nice, that's wonderful, but that isn't what the shepherds think. And the reason for this is because they don't have the privilege of reading verse 10. Verse 10 says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, 
that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Before they're told this part, all they know is that they've been greeted by heavenly angels, surrounded by God's glory. One thing that is important to realize here is that God and man don't mix. They're not naturally compatible. See, God is the embodiment of goodness and love and justice, while we're corrupted by a sinful nature. The result of being good and perfect is joy and peace in the world. If everyone were good, then our world would be perfect, but we're not. And the Bible explains the result of this in Romans 6.23, saying that the wages of sin is death. Your wages are whatever you've earned for what you've done. You may be paid by the amount of hours that you work or the quality of your work, and you should be paid accordingly. You earn a certain amount of money for a certain amount of work, and the Bible here says that the reward or the result of sin is death. So, when the angels come and they're surrounded with God's glory, it actually makes sense why the shepherds are scared. Why? Because God's glory is there. Psalm 711 says that God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Think about that. God is a perfect judge that judges everyone according to his own perfection, and he's compelled to do so. Remember that it says he feels indignation. He's continually bothered by the sin and hatred and the trouble in his creation. And he wants to fix it. He wants to make it right. That's what a judge does. They give to each their own what they deserve so that everything, in turn, is made right. Now, where does that leave the shepherds? Because they're human and therefore imperfect, and the result of that is death. So without the context of verse 10, all they know is that they, who are imperfect and deserve death, are being greeted by a judge who gives everyone exactly what they deserve. That's why they're so afraid. And the angels must realize this because they immediately say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What they're saying is that this is good news. This doesn't call for fear. This calls for great joy. And then they give us the reason for this great joy, saying, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now this kind of event, where someone in the Bible is reminded of God's promises, has happened before. Abraham is reminded of this promise multiple times. The prophet Isaiah is sent out by God, and he reminds the Israelites about this promise. John the Baptist is sent out to remind people about the coming birth of Jesus. In other words, God doesn't just say to Abraham one time, hey, I'm going to send my son to help you guys, and then just hopes that they'll remember about it for the next few hundred years. No, no, no. God actually recognizes that the human mind will forget things. 
and the importance of his original message will fade. So he constantly reminds us. He refreshes the truth in our hearts and minds so we don't forget this important news. And here we have, one last time, a final reminder. A final message of, fear not, Jesus is coming. But this is slightly different than the other reminders. The other reminders were to let people know that Jesus would come. This final reminder is to remind the world now, once and for all, Jesus is here. And after this final reminder, the shepherds know that instead of being condemned to a fate of death and destruction, they've actually been introduced to their salvation. God himself, who is a judge, has actually provided a way out of his own judgment. And along with this reminder, they're also given a clear path to receive God's promise. The angels tell them, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I think that would be very easy to read verses 10 and 12 as the same message. It all sounds very similar. Verse 10 through 11 says that there is good news and that Jesus is coming. Verse 12 tells them when they will have found this promise. See, just because there is a solution to humanity's problem, the problem of death, doesn't necessarily mean that it's accessible. Just like how some people may need medical treatments that, while they do exist, they may not have access to them. It exists, and that's wonderful, but it actually doesn't matter if they can't receive it. So God gives them another promise. They're now given a sign so that they know when they will have found this gift. I just love how God not only sends his son to die for these shepherds, but he also makes it so that this sacrifice is more easily distinguishable and discoverable. So now that they have the means to obtain this promise from God, they act on it. It says that they went with haste. They didn't waste any time. They didn't wait until going to Bethlehem was convenient for them. They immediately drop what they're doing and they go to Bethlehem. But you know what's funny? I bet a lot of us today wouldn't have made that decision. Some of us aren't willing to drive in an air-conditioned car 15 minutes to our local church, and yet these shepherds seem to be willing to do whatever it takes to meet Jesus. Some of us wouldn't be able to see past the fact that we have sheep to care for and then miss out on the opportunity of meeting the Savior of the world. But luckily, the shepherds don't remain so short-sighted. They take a leap of faith that could have ended badly. Maybe they go to Bethlehem and they don't see a trace of Jesus. But they trusted God and his promise that he would be there. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. That's what they do. They trust that God's understanding is greater than theirs. 
logically, it may not make sense to us that the Son of God is born in a barn, but they trust that God knows what he's doing. And then what happens? They find Jesus lying in a manger, wrapped in a blanket. Imagine what that must have been like. For generations, they've passed down and shared and treasured this promise that God had given them. The shepherds probably grew up being told about it as kids, about how one day God would send his son to deliver his people. Imagine how delighted they must have been when they saw the baby lying in a manger, just like they were told. Imagine how hopeful they must have felt as they peered into the holy and majestic eyes of this one child destined to save humanity. Imagine what that once-in-a-lifetime experience must have been like for them. This really is the ultimate example of God's love and faithfulness, because the reality is that God never had an obligation to save us. God never had to sacrifice his only son. He could have just destroyed this world with another flood or something, but he didn't. And the one and only reason why he came to earth and died was because he loved us. That's what the Bible says in Romans 5.8. It goes, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It would be one thing if we were perfect and had a perfect relationship with him. Then it would make sense that he may be willing to die for us if we were his friends, but we weren't. That just shows how much he cares for us. And yes, his death is very significant, but there's a slightly different reason why his birth is also important. The reason that his birth is such a big deal is because of his descent from glory. His willingness to take upon himself all the troubles and misfortune in the world. Because realize this. He was with God the Father before he was born. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We already talked about how Jesus is this Word, and he has been with the Father since the beginning of time. He was so extremely close and intimate with the ultimate source of goodness in the universe. And yet he left all of that. He left all of that and he entered into a world full of sin and brokenness. And again, he had nothing to gain from doing that. Think about it this way. Have you ever heard of a king or a queen or anyone with great authority for that matter living in a shed? Probably not. The leaders of our nations always seem to live in really nice houses. The British Queen lives in Buckingham Palace. The American President lives in the White House. Why is that? It's because they have power over others. And because they have power over others, because they're seen as greater than others, they don't go and live among the homeless. That's not justified in our world. And here's the thing about God. God deserves his power and authority much more than anyone else deserves theirs. 
Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So, the reason why this holiday is so celebrated around the world is because of Jesus' willingness to leave everything good and wonderful so that he could be born in a dirty barn among animals. It's that sense of loving sacrifice that Jesus shows through his birth. And what's interesting is where it shares the reactions of the people who heard about it. Verse 18 says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. It said that they wondered. They were curious. They were interested, maybe perplexed, but that's all. Versus the shepherds, they seem way more excited about this. They go home celebrating and praising God. Also with Mary, we see how different her reaction is. Verse 19 says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 19 starts off with the word, but. The passage could have said, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. We instead hear the word, but. That word is used to compare things, to make it more notable that there's a difference between what we are comparing. And that's what is happening in this case. It's saying that there's a difference between their reactions. The people who heard about his birth were surprised and curious, but Mary seems to take him much more seriously. She actually takes these events and she treasures them in her heart. She regards them as important. The shepherds also seem to understand the significance of his birth because when they eventually leave, they're glorifying and praising God. Compare that to when the angels told them about Jesus' birth. Sure, they were curious. We see that in the fact that they go all the way to Bethlehem. But we aren't told that they're rejoicing or anything. Here's my point. The shepherds and Mary have a personal experience with Jesus. The townspeople don't. They only hear about Jesus. And this leads to the difference in their reactions. The people who only hear about Jesus don't seem to change. But what about those who do meet him? They have an obvious change in their behavior. The shepherds leave and they're rejoicing and praising God. Mary treasures these events in her heart. Everyone who meets Jesus seems to be transformed. They're worshiping, and that's what we should be doing. Isaiah 12.5 says, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. We're supposed to praise God because of what he's done for us. But realize that the shepherds only sing praises to the Lord when they meet Jesus and they fully recognize how he has saved them and, in turn, how God has done gloriously. And when they do understand how he has done gloriously, they're changed. They're transformed 
when they have a personal experience with him. Now, I'd like to talk about the continuity of the story. There are practically multiple lessons and ideas that can be derived from each verse in the passage. And while they're all very useful, they seem to be a little out of place. For instance, we know that being a shepherd is difficult, and then how God's glory can make people scared. And then we're showed how the shepherds had dedication by traveling to Bethlehem. Then we learn about God's sacrifice for us. But what's the point? What's the thesis of the story? What the story is displaying is the redemptive process that happens because of Christ. Just going over the steps again. First, they lead an imperfect life. They're imperfect and they're desperately in need of something. Then, they're met with God's glory. They experience the truth that is God, which is righteousness and justice. Thirdly, they're afraid. They're afraid because of a combination of steps one and two. They're imperfect, and they're met by a judge who wants to make everything perfect, but the result of this should be their destruction. So fourthly, they're given a promise, the promise of salvation. Fifth, they act on that promise. Then they receive this promise, and then lastly, they're changed. It's a wonderful story of God's grace displayed for those who need it most. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for sending your son to die for us in such a humble way so we can realize the importance of his sacrifice. Please help us realize how much we need the salvation that we've been offered. And as the holidays approach, let us recognize the grace that you've given us and the importance of his birth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been the third episode of Bible Beyond. A huge thank you to my grandfather, for creating the great music you're listening to right now. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, check back with us on the first of every month, when we'll have a new episode ready. For now, have a great day.